Uh, let's, let's see, see. let's head over and there's a, a spot we could probably oh, sit here. That's okay, cool. Hopefully pretty quiet. So this is the part of the NPR interview where you introduce yourself. Uh, <laughs> you know the genre. It's like, my name is, and I, and then you finish that sentence however you want. Okay. My name is Laura Derrick, and I do a lot of different things. <laughs> I don't like I'm not sure exactly how to answer that. Um, I first meet Laura Derrick in a park in Austin, Texas. It's a place where she used to take her kids when they were little. My name is Laura Derrick, and I live in Austin, Texas. There we go. That was beautiful. All right, cool. And so we are talking because I said to the universe via Facebook, like, I'm interested in people with stories about healthcare and money. And I think your daughter basically said, like, my mom has a whale of a story. Yes, this is true. Um, I was born with a hereditary illness, uh, which I didn't know at the time. And Laura Derrick proceeds to blow my mind for the next two and a half hours. We're condensing it to 20 minutes here. She is someone who really confronted the cost of healthcare over and over. And she prevailed. In this story, Laura endures a lot. She makes crazy sacrifices. And along the way, she changes the course of history. So strap in. This is An Arm and a Leg, a podcast about the cost of healthcare. I'm Dan Weissman. We're going to pick up Laura Derrick's story in the 1990s. Laura's in her early 30s, living in Austin with her husband and their kids. And up until this moment, for like 20 years, since she was a kid, her life had been like a real-life, really unpleasant medical mystery. She'd get these attacks all the time. Random parts of her body would swell up like crazy and hurt. Her belly, her hands her throat. Docs had to shove a tube down her throat for that so she didn't suffocate. And nobody knew what was wrong or how to treat it. Uh, So I had, you know, for example, an emergency appendectomy and my appendix was fine. 20 years of this. They tried antihistamines. They tried steroids. They tried pain medication. um, And a lot of them eventually threw up their hands and said, yeah, we have no idea. Must be, you know, in your head. Uh, Oh, (laughs) that's a classic. Yeah. Um, Oh, you're a woman, and I don't understand your problem. Eh, Maybe you don't have one. Exactly. Then one day, in her early 30s, she meets this immunologist. And I told him my history, and he looked at me and said, I think I know what this is. And I laughed, uh, because I'd heard that many times before. Uh, And he said, no, no, I I get it, I understand. And he ran off for 10 minutes and came back and then copied pages from an immunology textbook to show me. And it had photographs of what hands looked like swollen, exactly like mine did. Uh, It was like reading my life history. It's a condition called hereditary angioedema. It is super well understood. I mean, it's in immunology textbooks, but it's also super rare. Most doctors, once they pass their immunology exam in med school, Never hear about it again. But this doctor... He explained that he had just gone to this conference and seen a case presented. So he was like, aha. And if this had been a medical mystery story, that would have been the happy ending. Diagnosis, treatment, relief. But this is not the happy ending. This is just the beginning of our story. Because there's no treatment. Well, not for her. Not in the U.S., She hears there's a treatment in Europe. Remember, this is the 1990s. The internet? Not so much a thing. You want to know more about something like this? You gotta go somewhere and find out. So 
Laura's husband works in film. He does sound. He manages to line up a gig in France so Laura can tag along, learn more. She meets a doc there, a researcher. He says, yeah, we got a treatment. Works pretty good. But getting it approved in the U.S.? Do not hold your breath. It was awful. I mean, it was, on the one hand, it was so exciting to know what this was, finally, and to know that there were possibly treatments available eventually, you know, like that there was, there was progress. Just not for her. Not yet. So, back in the U.S., the best treatment Laura Dare can get basically sucks. It's like a steroid. It punches the liver to produce something that kind of helps. Long term, not so great for the liver. Meanwhile, like a steroid, there's side effects, hormonal stuff. Okay, so I didn't have any periods. Just (laughs) in the TMI end of things, um, breast tissue started to kind of disappear. Her voice gets deeper, and she just feels weird all the time, like moody, not herself. It's no fun. This is her life for a long time. Meanwhile, she runs a household where dad travels for work a lot, she homeschools their kids, she does some volunteering and some freelance work in the movie industry, but just staying alive is kind of a big job for her. Attacks hit once or twice a month. When they're not too bad, she can still talk and think, but she's immobilized. And she's got two little kids at home. So we would play play games like shoe store where I would lie in bed and they would go get all of the shoes from the closet and, you know, try to sell them to me. Try to put them on, like, things to entertain your kids while you're so sick you can't move. Um, and there were times when they were little that, you know, I had to call an ambulance and, you know, the paramedics were being entertained by my son. Her kids get older, years go by, and this other thing happens. It's the summer of 2004. Laura's watching the Democratic National Convention. Not that she's big into politics. I I was one of those people who kind of found politics sort of icky. But she's watching during the keynote address. And the speaker, he's this state senator from Illinois, he really grabs her. There is not a black America and a white America and Latino America. (laughs) I paused the TV, yelled at my kids to come into the room and stood there and said, You have to listen to this. This man's going to be our next president. And, of course, everybody laughed. And Asian America, there's the United States of America. Lots of people hear that speech. Lots of people get pretty excited about Barack Obama, but not like Laura Derrick. What happens here, it's how she responds. Over the next couple of years, Laura keeps track of Barack Obama. And in 2007, when he announces his candidacy, she is thrilled. And I I mean, over the moon thrilled. Because now, after hearing that speech, she has no chill. She has been waiting for this moment for years. I couldn't have even imagined before that walking into a campaign office and, you know, like volunteering. But that was it. And I literally walked in and said, I'm here. I can be here most of the day, every day. What do you want me to do? Tell me where to start. Basically, they put her in charge of a bunch of stuff for Texas as a volunteer. It was not a battleground state, right? It was not a state where they sent a lot of resources. So there were really not a lot of campaign jobs that were paid. The election happens. Barack Obama wins. And then Laura Derrick's health totally, inexplicably collapses. She has flare-ups all the time, pain, swelling. She's in and out of the hospital. Eventually, her doctor figures it out. The drug she takes is giving out. What that really means is, after all the years of this drug poking her liver, 
liver's done. And he he said eventually, you know, you're we'll have to stop this medication or you'll end up on a transplant list. And by that point, medically, she is like so completely had it. Unless she thinks she's about to die, which she does think sometimes, she doesn't even call an ambulance. And by this time, that drug she saw in Europe, it's here now. It has been approved by the FDA. But I didn't have it yet because there's an entire other drama. It's not enough for the government to approve the drug. Her insurance company also has to approve it. That takes a while. And then they have to work out a deal with what's called a specialty pharmacy. You don't get this kind of drug from CVS. All told, it takes more than two years. She finally gets her prescription filled. Drug works like a charm. After decades of waiting, first for a diagnosis, then for access to treatment, looks like Laura Derrick is finally home free. That feeling lasts for like a few weeks. The biggest battle, that is still ahead. A month after Laura gets this drug, three things happen. First, she sees the insurance statement for the drug and sees the price. I was covered by insurance, so this is not what I paid, but the first bill was over $55,000. And this is for like a month's supply? A month's supply. And how much was your share of that? Uh, My share was about $20. So that's one. And then thing two, her son is diagnosed with type 1 diabetes on the cusp of his graduation from the University of Texas. And then thing three. Her husband is diagnosed with prostate cancer. Uh, and it was not, it, 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 we didn't catch it right away. He's going to be out of commission for the better part of a year. And because of how insurance works for people in the movie industry, where people move from project to project, he's going to lose his health insurance. And three members of the family now have super expensive pre-existing conditions for which they can't buy insurance on their own. I mean, Obamacare has passed by this point. And yes, it includes a ban on insurance companies denying coverage of pre-existing conditions. But Obamacare gets implemented in phases, and that ban won't take effect for another two years. And so Laura's like, okay, I I am now healthy. I can actually hold down a job. And I applied for five jobs that looked fabulous, and I really wanted them, and I got offers for all of them, and none of them offered insurance. So I couldn't take them. So she goes to the one place where she knows she can get a job. And the job will come with health insurance, which is Obama World. It's 2011. The 2012 re-election campaign is ramping up. She has a network of people in that world who love her and know her and know her commitment and her ability. And she goes to them and they're like, yes, we will find you a job. But there's a catch. My, my daughter's last year of high school, my son's last year of college, I left our family with my husband in cancer treatment because the only job they could offer was in Ohio. And it offered us an insurance policy with a zero deductible that cost $20 a month for the whole family and covered everything we needed. But it meant I had to be gone for almost a year and a half. She goes so they can have health insurance and so that Barack Obama can have a second term. It's an ordeal for the whole family. Laura's husband's treatment is brutal. He needs looking after. Their daughter takes care of him, and the dogs, and herself. Her son adjusts to life with diabetes, all without her. I was 
in a very intense situation and consumed by that and hardly had time to even talk to them. And I worked every day, like 7.30, a.m. until midnight or 1, and slept a few hours and got up and did it again. Did my laundry Sunday mornings and boom, right back at it. Everything is stripped down to the basics. Um, I stayed with a family there who offered me uh, a place to live for free. Um, they, they saved us. There's no way I could have, on the salary, you know, a campaign salary, I couldn't have afforded to pay the bills back home and still, you know, afford a place to live there. As it is, Laura and her husband borrow against their house. They burn through their retirement savings. And she has zero daily support system. She is running the Obama campaign in more than 20 counties in south-central Ohio. Everybody she sees all day, every long day, works for her or volunteers for people who work for her. Her job is to motivate them, organize them, help them tell their stories, not cry on anybody's shoulder. And she just guts it out and does it. This is a woman, you know, who's played shoe store with her kids when she was immobilized. She knows from lying on the bathroom floor, unsure if she's going to live or die. She has a lot of grit. She does it for the second half of 2011. She does it for the first 10 months of 2012. And the whole time, everybody knows, you know, Ohio, which was a swing state in 2008, is a must for the 2012 Obama campaign. I think there was one path to victory without Ohio, uh, so it was crucial. And this was all the marbles for you and your family. Every bit of it. Like, this was it. And uh, by God, it worked. <laughs> so, um, oh, I have She it. takes I out her phone and starts looking for a photo from Facebook. How do I find it? <laughs> it takes a minute. Come on. Where are the photos? Well, you, there this you is go. Ohio. Okay. It's, I see all these arrows pointing to the right. So They're this all was red. the change from 2008 to 2012. This is a map of Ohio. Each county is represented by an arrow. If Republicans gained ground in 2012, it's a red arrow pointing right. Blue arrows point left. And mostly, Ohio is just a sea of red arrows. But in the middle and southern central portion of the state, it's all blue. Oh, this was my region Jesus. of Ohio. Oh, Jesus Christ. You held. You, you, you like, Ohio was like lurching to the right. That is how determined I was. Like, we are, by God, going to win this crap. thing. I'm sitting here talking to the person who, who kept... Mitt Romney from being president. Well, certainly not single-handedly. But, you know, it was, I was so determined. Like, I was not going to go through all of this for nothing. So that was it. She made it. Obama was elected, and her husband was getting better, and could go back to work and become the person bringing in health insurance again. And they made it. What I love about Laura's story is there's like no separating the personal experience, even intimate, the body, the pain, the family budget, taking a job that keeps the family separated, all of that, from some of the biggest forces in our big, messy country. The pace of science, the drug industry, the insurance industry, the Affordable Care Act, presidential friggin' election. In Laura's story, they are all there at the total extremes. They can't be separated. All of us pretty much end up having to deal with these giant systems. None of us more than Laura Derrick. And Laura Derrick, she dealt with them right back so that she could have a life. And, inspired by a skinny state senator from Illinois in 2004, so that other people could have a shot at one too. So that's the end for now. Except for one big, haunting thing.
how much the drugs cost. There's a there's a real guilt factor of using a medication that is this expensive. I mean, I, I'm thrilled. I'm <laughs> very happy, and I I love being healthy. But man, I I, I am one of the reasons why healthcare in this country costs so much. But where does all that money go? We're talking more than half a million bucks a year. Of course, there are the usual shorthand answers. The stuff is derived from human blood. That's expensive. And there's marketing costs, like finding patients with this super rare condition. So they they spend a fortune on patient outreach programs. Yeah. U.S. healthcare. Yeah, I mean, the U.S. part of it is the crazy part, right? Because you talked yeah. to this doctor 25 years ago who was developing and back this treatment. Then, this drug in Europe, uh, a dose of it, was about $200. So it was expensive there, but not... This drug was available in Europe. In Europe. For 200 bucks. Mm-hmm, a dose, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think you need to be the one feeling guilty about that. <laughs> that drug, Sinrise is still on short lists of the world's most expensive drugs. How exactly it went from 200 bucks a dose to more than half a million bucks a year, that is our story for next time on An Arm and a Leg. It involves a Connecticut housewife, a 1970s TV star, and a Las Vegas area maker and distributor of popcorn and nacho cheese sauce. Also, Wall Street. Yeah, you're going to want to hear this one. This is An Arm and a Leg, show about the cost of healthcare. If you're digging it, Tell your friends. Post about the show on Facebook. Tweet about it. Email people. Tell them, you got to hear this. You can find us and subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts and at armandalegshow.com. And please consider supporting the show financially. There's no institution behind us. Our world headquarters is a three-season sun porch behind my son's bedroom. You can add your support through a service called Patreon. There's some fun rewards, including arm and a leg band-aids and every dollar helps. There's a big fat Patreon button at armandalegshow.com Thank you for giving that some thought. I really appreciate it. Either way, I'll catch you next time. Till then, take care of yourself. This episode was produced by me, Dan Weissman. Our editor is Whitney Henry Lester. Daisy Rosario is our consulting producer. The music is by Dave Weiner and Adam Raimonda. Adam mixed this episode. Thanks so much to the generous donors who've made our launch possible. Thanks to Public Narrative for acting as the fiscal sponsor for our launch, allowing those donations to be tax-deductible. Public Narrative is a nonprofit that uses training and storytelling to elevate public discourse and promote democracy. It trains both nonprofits and journalists, and it supports journalism on subjects like the cost of healthcare that are not fully covered by existing outlets. They're online at publicnarrative.org. So thank you. To borrow a phrase from former Vice President Joe Biden, it's a big deal.